Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a nightmare scenario for virtually every parent. You are outside with your child. You turn your head to attend to something else. And the next thing you know, your little one is standing at the end of the driveway, on the apron of the driveway, one step from the road. Stop, you yell. Come back here. That's dangerous. And you begin to stride toward the little one. Of course, if your child has that independent streak, like so many do, your strides toward them are seen as a challenge. Stop, you yell once more. Now, the car is coming down the street, and they don't seem aware that there is a two-year-old that is about to play chicken with them. Your little one steps out onto the road. Your striding turns into a sprint. By the grace of God, you get there in time. You scoop up that wayward turkey, I mean child, and you pull them back to safety. In those harrowing moments, a parent acts with twofold authority. First, they act as the authority when it comes to the knowledge of the situation at hand, especially in contrast to their two-year-old. The toddler assumes that the street is the same as the driveway. The parent knows better. Thus, the urging to step back from the road. And then, when the child challenges their parent's authority and steps into danger, the mom or the dad acts with a different kind of authority, with awareness and speed and strength to pull the child from danger, awareness, speed, and strength that that child would certainly not have in and of themselves. As children, we've all had those moments where we've challenged the authority of those who care for us. But when we get ourselves in trouble, over our heads, needing help, what a blessing it is when mom or dad employs their authority, their knowledge, their experience, their superior size and strength and skill to help us. In today's reading from Mark chapter 1, we travel a little bit further with Jesus into the beginning of his public ministry. He has been baptized by John. He has begun to proclaim the message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has called some of his first disciples, and now he is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, the weekly gathering of God's people around his word. In some ways, kind of like we're experiencing right now. But the experience for those gathered around Jesus on that Saturday was nothing like they had experienced before. And the word that Mark uses to describe the difference is authority. 
Mark 1, verse 22, they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What does Mark mean by that? That Jesus taught as one having authority. I think it's the difference between hearing someone quote from a book versus hearing the author of the book themselves. The scribes and the teachers of Jesus' day would have read from the scriptures, and then they very likely would have shared what others said on that particular passage. Respected teachers, past and present, what did they say? How did they comment on this particular passage? And that's the kind of preaching that they normally would have received on a given Sabbath day. Jesus didn't teach that way. He didn't feel the need to quote anybody else. Instead, when he taught from the scriptures, he did so as the authority on the subject. Perhaps some of the clearest examples of this come from Matthew's gospel, from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, In rapid succession, Jesus will present a teaching uh, with these words. He'll say, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, and then he'll quote one of the commandments or a, a teaching that is prevalent. But then he will go on to say, but... I say to you. And he gives a meaning of the commandment that goes far deeper than they had ever heard before. Murder and adultery can be committed in the heart and in the mind long before they are carried out with the hands and with the body. You see, Jesus would not simply speak as a teacher of the word in a long tradition of other teachers. He would speak as the word himself, as the one who alone is able to finally define what is true, what God really says, what God really means. And then that teaching Authority would be affirmed through the power of his word as well. A man with an unclean spirit, a demon, suddenly makes a scene in the synagogue. By the way, can you imagine having that happen, like right in our midst, like tonight in church? Can you imagine? It's clear that this demon recognizes something about Jesus that the rest of the assembly doesn't know. We hear his language in Mark 1.24. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Some have suggested that this demon is speaking the name and identity of Jesus as a means of trying to get the upper hand over him, that if he could somehow identify him, that he would have power over him. Obviously, That is not the case. It's not going to work. Jesus rebukes the demon. He orders it to leave the man. And the unclean spirit is forced to obey. Again, we see authority. Not just teaching authority, but the authority of command. 
of superior power and rank. And the crowds are rightly amazed. Now, as we progress through the Gospels, it will truly come to pass that there will be others who are not as impressed by Jesus' demonstrations of authority. For example, when Jesus comes and he preaches in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, the people who grew up with him don't appreciate the fact that he teaches with authority or as the authority. In that case, it seems that familiarity does indeed breed contempt. We'll find that the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of Jesus' day feel threatened by Jesus' authority. And if we're honest with ourselves, Jesus' authority can make us feel uncomfortable at times as well. In ways big and small, we can act like the two-year-old standing at the edge of the driveway. What does dad know anyway? I want to go this way. Temptation, like a wide open street, calls out to us, inviting us to feel the freedom and the joy of going where we want to go and doing what we want to do. From our vantage point, it seems that the risk is minimal. The reward is huge until we step out into danger and realize far too late that we are in big trouble. Marriages, relationships, in danger of being destroyed, trust between people that gets flattened, innocence that is robbed. Something sick and twisted inside of us longs for freedom from God, freedom to do what we want to do, but what we experience so often instead is what happens when a branch is set free from a vine or an appliance is set free from the wall socket. They die. In fact, Jesus says exactly that in John 15, verse 5, when he talks about himself being the vine and we're the branches, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not that sin will just lead to death eventually. The problem is that it chains us to death like a bunch of slaves even now. If you've ever dealt with an addiction, you probably know what that slavery feels like. It's pretty desperate. It's hard to uh, imagine a scenario that's more desperate than that man who shows up in the synagogue in Capernaum, possessed by the unclean spirit. He's no longer able to control himself. His actions are directed by the demon. His voice is co-opted by the demon for its own purposes. What horrible slavery that must have been. And what intense relief when Jesus employs his matchless authority to save him. The demon that had been his Lord, his master, is forced out. And now the man stands restored before his new Lord, the Lord of life. This 
is the beautiful news about how Jesus chooses to exercise his authority. His authority to reveal what is true and his authority to vanquish evil. His authority is exercised for you, for your good. Like a wise and loving parent, he knows what is truly best for you. And he lets you know it as he speaks to us again and again through his word. He never leaves us in the dark. And then, when he finds us resisting his authority and striding out into great danger, he exercises his superior power to rush out and to save us. He is the parent who runs ten times faster than the toddler could ever move, rushing into the dangerous street to shove us out of the way of the incoming vehicle, even if that means that he must be struck. It's interesting to me that Jesus himself uses that word, authority, to reveal in John 10 how he will save us. Jesus says these words, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. The one with real authority uses his authority to lay down his life for the sheep so that we might be rescued, so that we might be forgiven. And then he exercises his authority to take up his life again so that we might have a living shepherd and the hope of our own victory over death in him. Not only that, but he's promised to be with us always, even now, working with that same authority as he sends us out. Do you remember the words of the Great Commission in Matthew 28? Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now in that authority, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's true that apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, trusting in him, well, Paul says it well in Philippians 4, verse 13, when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Your king has real authority, and he is determined to exercise it for your good. So trust what he says and rely on his power today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep our hearts and minds today and always in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our King, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen.